Eve. We're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 32, so hopefully you have your, uh, brought a copy with you of God's Word and make your way over there, and, and we're going to take a look into uh, Scripture today. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32 is where we're going to be at. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's take a look uh, at, at the scriptures here this morning. In 1986, Bob Seger uh, released his hit song, Like a Rock. You guys remember that song? <laughs> All the old people, man. You guys are ready for it. So Chevy picked up on that song and made it their, uh, their iconic theme song for their truck, Like a Rock, from 1994 to 2001. That commercial ran. And so the Chevy trucks there were pictured as being dependable and durable, strong and rugged. Uh, they were unlike Ford, which was fixed or repaired daily. Okay. Sorry. It was before Dodge and their Ram, whatever their deal is. Yeah, Ram Tough, thank you. So, <laughs> well, today we're not here to talk about the merits of pickup trucks, Amen. But we are going to look at something, someone, far greater, more grander than anything man can make. And we're going to reclaim the title today, Like a Rock. And we're going to apply it to the one who rightfully is the rock. We're in our summer series that I've called Prayers to Praise, the Songs of the Redeemed. And today we're in Deuteronomy chapter 32. And if you remember from a couple Sundays ago, we looked at the first song of Moses there in Exodus chapter 15. The first song of Moses was the song that Moses composed and sang after God had delivered the nation of Israel when they were in front of the Red Sea. The Egyptian army was bearing down on them. The sea was in front of them. Death was certain. God gave the deliverance. Forty years later, new generation, Moses is still the leader, but this is one of his final acts of leadership. And this generation stood at the banks, not of the Red Sea, but at the Jordan River that was in front of them, with the promised land in sight. And in this song that we're going to look at today, Deuteronomy chapter 32, we're going to be confronted with two contrasting realities on the one hand, we're going to be reminded and we're going to see that the Lord is the rock and there is no other. And then the second contrasting, or the other contrasting reality, is that we're going to see that people have rejected the rock and are choosing another. People have rejected this rock and are choosing another. This contrast is going to unfold for us throughout this song. We're going to see that the Lord is the rock. He is no other. People have rejected the rock and choose another. Allow me to read the first six verses of this song. These opening verses will help us understand and unfold for us the meaning, the message of the song. And we're going to walk our way through this. There's so much theology it's just going to, we're going to read, I'll make a few comments. First six verses we'll try to unpack a little bit because I think it will help us with the rest of the song uh, this morning. Verse 30 of chapter 31 really sets for us the location, the, the setting for the song. 
And then I'll read down through verse 6 of chapter 32. And Moses recited the words of this song from the beginning to end in the hearing of the whole assembly of Israel. So he's reciting these songs in, and all of Israel is there with them. And so here we go, verse, 30, verse 1 of chapter 32. Listen, you heavens, and I will speak. Hear, you earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect. All his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. They, and when we get down to verse, I think it's 18, the they is going to become second person plural, you. They are corrupt and not as children. To their shame, they are warped and a crooked generation. In this, is this the way you repay the Lord? You foolish and unwise people. Is he not your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? Well, let's take a look at, at what this uh, song is, is teaching us here. Uh, verse 30 sets that context. Moses is there, one of, his, one of his final acts of leadership. For 40 years, he's led the nation of Israel through the wilderness. And yet, because of his own disobedience, where he dishonored the name of the Lord in front of the people. Moses would not go into the promised land. His success, the succession plan for Moses was Joshua. Joshua took his place and he would uh, now lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. And in the assembly of all, Moses recites these songs. Verse 1, Moses calls heaven and earth to be a witness to these words. He's going to declare something. And in this song, he's going to declare that the Lord is the rock and there is no other. And yet, in spite of the fact that the Lord is the rock and no other, people have chosen to reject the rock and choose another. And in verse 2, we have the purpose for this song. And using four similes, Moses sings these words and reminds us that his prayer, his desire, that these, the words of this song would fall and be received like rain, like showers, like dew, like abundant or sufficient rain. How many of you have rain-starved grass at your house? How many of you are looking forward to your water bill this month? <clears throat> like Texas in July that desperately needs rain to fall on parched ground. Moses is saying, may these words fall on you. May you be revived. May you be nourished. May you be strengthened by the words of this song. As you hear these words, Moses' prayer is that these words, these words would be received and believed. And then in verse 3 we see, the, well, we'll get there, verse 3. We see the nature of this song. That it's a wisdom song. It's a, a song that is designed to instruct us. 
and to teach us, to warn us, and to direct us. Do you remember what the Bible says that the beginning of wisdom is? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when we hear that word fear, that we know that the Lord is not someone to be trifled with. We, we can't pick and choose who God is. Or we can't make a God in our own liking. Or, or we, This is what I want to accept about God, but I'm not going to accept this about God. The, the fear of the Lord says that, that the Lord is powerful in all His ways. The Lord is able to do all that He says. The Lord will do all that He says. The Lord must be dealt with seriously. He's not a local deity. God of my choosing. He's not a God that it can be dismissed or ignored. We either fear God or we don't fear God. There's not neutral middle ground. And so this song is designed to invoke that fear, to bring about wisdom so that we would learn to follow and trust, love, and serve the Lord. Do you remember the song that some of us taught our kids when they were young? It goes like this. Oh, be, I'm a little bit worried because last time I sang a song to you a couple weeks ago, you guys looked at me and said, oh, we don't know that song. So, let's see if we know this one. <clears throat> oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. By the way, um, on that song that we sang this morning, a cappella, man, you guys sang great. But this song goes on. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Oh, be careful, little heart, what you trust. Oh, be careful, little mind, what you think. Why? Because the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little heart, what you trust. You know that little song? We remember it. Why do we remember it? It taught us some very basic things about God. God knows. God is present. God rules over. God is love. And the song teaches us that you and I are to live our daily lives, not as children, but all of our lives under this reality that God knows, God cares, God's present, God rules, God loves. And so therefore we must be very careful how we live. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In the same way this song that we're going to look at here is like that. Oh, may the words of the song fall like rain. May they be like dew on the grass. May, be, may they be like showers and abundant rain on tender plants. Verses 3 and 4 give to us that first half of that paradigm. Remember the first half of the paradigm? The Lord is the what? <laughs> the Lord is the what? And who? There is no other. And so verse 3 says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. And Moses here says, in this song, I'm going to be singing the name of the Lord. And then he gives to us a command. 
ascribe or, or praise the greatness of God. The greatness of God that is due his name. Verse 4 defines who God is and he's the rock who is, there, there is no other. He is the rock. In verse 39 we're going to see that there is no other rock. And his works are perfect. His ways are just. He is the faithful God who does no wrong. He is upright and just in all that he does. You know, think about this, what this song is teaching us about who God is. The prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21 says, whether you turn to the right or turn to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And this song here is, is just reminding us that, that all of the ways of the Lord are right and just. He is the faithful God. And we're being exhorted, we're being encouraged to walk in these ways. As the rock, he's the faithful God. He's dependable, he's trustworthy, he's true. He's without variance. God's word isn't yes today and no tomorrow. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does no wrong, he's upright, he's just in all that he does. The word here, the last word where it says that he is just means that God is straight and he's not crooked. Verses five and six give to us that contrasting side. The Lord is the what? And he is, there is no other. However, you and I, people, we have rejected the rock and we choose another. And we see that in verses 5 and 6. Although the God is the rock who is faithful and who does no wrong, he's upright and just, people in verses 5 and 6 are described as crooked. Did you see that? They are corrupt. They are warped. They're a crooked generation. The Bible describes people as being twisted. We would say perverse or perverted. Who are the they? Well, we're going to see later on that the pronoun is going to turn to you. Moses is singing this song in the presence of the assembly. The they is not the Egyptians, not the Philistines, not the Canaanites or the Amorites. The they is we, the people of God. We have not followed the Lord. Uh, verse uh, 6 says, is this how you repay the Lord? The Lord, that's the word there for Jehovah, Yahweh, it's the covenant name of God. It's the name that God uses to describe his covenant relationship with his people. When we get down to verse 8, we're going to see the name Most High. The Hebrew word there is El Yon. That word is the name that is used to describe the sovereign rule of God over the nations. Here God is saying, is this how you repay me, your God? The they... Yes, the world has rejected the Lord as the rock. But the force of this song is directed to the people of God. We, the people of God, reject the rock. And we choose another. And so we're going to use these two categories, verses 3 and 4. The category of the greatness of God. Verses 5 and 6 the crookedness of people to help us understand 
the stanzas of this song. All right? That's the introduction. You guys good? What time are we leaving for camp? 2.30. Okay, so we got a couple hours. We're good. All right. Well, let's take a look. Let's begin with the greatness of God, right? The greatness of God. Notice, first of all, in the first stanza, verses 7 through 14, we're going to see that we're going to be called to remember the Lord's goodness. We're going to call to remember the goodness of God. Let me read verses 7 through 14. Again, this stanza begins with three commands. Remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your father, he will tell you. Your elders, they will explain to you. When the Most High, El Yon, gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind, he set up boundaries for the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, his allotted inheritance. In a desert land, he found him. In a barren and howling waste, he shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spread its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. The Lord alone led him. No foreign god was with him. He made him ride on the heights of the land and fed them with the fruit of the fields. He nourished him with honey from the rock and with oil from the flinty crag, with curds and milk from the herd and flock and fattened lambs and goats, with choice rams of Bashan and the finest kernels of wheat, you drank the foaming blood of the grape. Right? You're saying, what does all that mean? Anybody asking that question? <laughs> Y'all with me today? Verse 7, three commands. Remember consider ask obviously future generations would be summoned <clears throat> to look back and consider all that God had done God the rock and they needed to be remembered they needed to be reminded what God had done for them in the past they need to be convinced of that verses 8 and 9 simply tell us that when God um, allotted the boundaries for all the nations he did so with a special eye for the nation of Israel he allotted the land to them and he gave to them their land with the special particular concern for them. Verses 10, 11, and 12 tell us how God led them through the wilderness like an eagle that stirs up its nest so that the eagle, eaglets would be pushed out of the nest. The mother eagle would then swoop down and catch the, 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 the flailing eaglet on her wings in order to teach her how to, the, the eaglet how to fly. God says, that's how I was with you. I established you. Verses 13 and 14 prophetically looked ahead to the land when, when God would establish the nation in the promised land. Future generations would look back as they sang this song at what God had already done. But for this generation at this time, on this day with Moses there, they were looking ahead. It was as good as if as it was as though it was already done. It was good as done. The first stanza recounts the goodness of God. And this, the purpose of this verse is just say, remember all that God has done for you. You know, we sing the hymn, count your many blessings, name them one by one. We we're exhorted, reminded not to forget the goodness of God. We must remember all that God has done for us. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, do you not know that it is the mercy of God that leads to repentance? 
And we're to remember what God has done. But just as we see the goodness of God in this first verse, the second verse, we are called to recognize the fickleness of our devotion. The fickleness of our devotion as we consider the crookedness of people. Remember the, the two categories of this song. The goodness of God, remember, or, or the greatness of God, remember his goodness. The crookedness of people, we, we see the fickleness of our devotion. Look at verses 15 to 18. Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. Filled with food, they became heavy and sleek. They abandoned, notice, what, notice how Jeshurun is the name for, for Israel, right? It's a, a, a nickname for Israel. There's it, a play on words here. The word Jeshurun means the upright one. The upright one was un, not upright. The upright one was not upright. That's what's happening here. Notice how Israel became, they abandoned the God who made them and rejected the rock, their Savior. They made him jealous with their foreign gods and they angered him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed to false gods which are not God. Gods they had not known. Gods that had recently appeared. Gods your ancestors did not fear. You deserted the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. Verses 15 and 18 are parallel. They abandoned God. They rejected the rock, their Savior. Verse 18, they deserted the rock. They forgot the God who gave them birth. How did they do that? Verses 16 and 17. They made him jealous. We're going to look at that here in a little bit. They made him jealous. They angered him. They provoked him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed to false gods, which are not gods. They made him jealous with foreign gods. Verse 17 talks about these false gods. Gods that they had not known. Gods that they had recently appeared. God's ancestors did not fear. They were looking for something new. Isn't that like us today? Always looking for something new. Give me a new experience. Give me a new thrill. I, I don't need to, 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 to go the, the old ways of God. Just give me something new. It says that they angered him with their detestable idols. Really, they angered him with their, they provoked him with their abominations. They, they did the abominable. They, they did the unspeakable and the unthinkable. And they sacrificed to false gods. They, literally, they sacrificed to demons. Did you notice the downward spiral? When God is rejected and the living rock is forgotten, we reject him and seek after new gods, which are really no gods. And we end up practicing all kinds of abominations and ultimately end up worshiping the demonic. You remember Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18? That whenever we reject the living rock, this downward spiral is inevitable. It's inevitable in a nation. And we see that being lived out in our own country. But it's inevitable in the life of an individual if we take a look at the trajectory of our life, 
and we find ourselves, whenever we find ourselves forgetting God, beginning to practice the abominable, the things that we say we would never do or the things that we can't believe other people do, and we start worshiping anything other than God, the issue, the root issue is that we have rejected the living rock in search for another rock. And so be careful when some, anyone offers you an alternative, something other than what God has prescribed in his word. So <clears throat> we have the, the greatness of God, the crookedness of people. Let's go back. The next verse takes us back to the greatness of God. Remember Moses said, um, declare or ascribe greatness to God. Remember not only the goodness of God, but now beginning in verses 19 to 27, we're called to remember the provocation of God. Now we need to hear these verses. We, we want a God of love and we want to dismiss a God of anger. And yet both are true of God. And we, we can't have, well, remember I said at the beginning, I want God of my choosing, I want this of God, but not this of God. We, it doesn't work that way. So notice here, the greatness of God as we remember his provocation, verse 19, the Lord saw this, saw what? Verses 15 to 18. And he rejected them because he was angered by his sons and his daughters. I will hide my face from them, he said, and see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation, children who are unfaithful. They made me jealous by what is no God and angered me with their worthless idols. They will make, I will make them envious by those who are not a people. I will make them angry by a nation that has no, has no understanding. For a fire will be kindled by my wrath, one that burns down to the realm of the dead below. It will devour the earth and its harvest and set afire, set afire the foundations of the mountains. I will heap calamities on them and send my arrows, spend my arrows against them. I will send wasting famine against them, consuming pestilence and deadly plague. I will send them against the fangs of the wild beasts, the venom of vipers and that, that glide in the dust. In the street, the sword will, be, will make them childless and in their homes, terror will reign. The young men and women will perish, and the infants and those with gray hair. I said I would scatter them and erase their memory from human memory, erase their name from human memory. But I dreaded the taunt of the enemy, lest the adversary misunderstand and say, Our hand has triumphed. The Lord has not done this at, has not, the Lord has not done all this. Like I said, these are challenging verses. And so let me do my best here to capture the essence of what God is revealing here about himself. It's under the heading of the greatness of God. What happens when we reject the living rock and, cho and choose another? Both the jealousy and the anger of God are aroused. God does not take this rejection of him lightly. Let me speak about jealousy. We might think, we might hear that word and we might think back to our high school days. 
when we had a crush on somebody, we became insanely jealous of someone because they talked to somebody else in the hallway. You guys remember those days? No? I'm the only one that was insanely jealous? Okay, I guess I'm the sick one. God is not jealous with insecurity. Ooh. Who are they thinking about choosing? God is like a husband who will not share his wife with another. God is like a father who will do whatever he can to protect his children. And so God sees this, I'm the living rock. And you're choosing a rock that's not a rock. I'm not going to sit by idly and just take it, well, okay, (laughs) hope it works out for you. No. His jealousy is aroused, his anger is provoked, and God says, I'm, okay, if that's what you choose, I'll, I'll take, I'll let you have your choice, and we'll watch how this unfolds. He's not being petty in heaven and saying, well, just figure it out, and no, God is, in his mercy, his severe mercy, is allowing the hardship of that rejection of him, the living rock, to begin to bear its weight on our life. God says, I will, um, in verses 23, let me find myself, my notes here. Uh, verses 23, he speaks, I will send calamities and arrows. What is he saying? God, God says, I'm going to bring judgment against my people so that they will turn away from this rock that's not a rock so that they will be devoted to the living rock. That's what he's saying here. And he says, in verse 23, he speaks of calamities, pestilence, plagues, famine, wild beasts that will turn against his people. Now listen, you know, think about what's happening just in the United States. Now listen, hear me. In no way am I ever equating the United States with the nation of Israel, right? The United States has, has never been the people of God as the nation of Israel was, right? You guys okay with that? But has there ever been a nation in modern history that ever had such an origin and a beginning that was founded on scriptural principles and the Bible as the United States? No. And in the same way that Israel turned away from the living rock, the United States has turned away from the rock. And God says, I will send calamities Pestilence, plagues, famines. And has, could, the experiences of the last three years and the current reality that we have right now with inflation be like a famine because we have rejected the rock for another rock that is not a rock? And God says that he would send arrows. That I believe that's a metaphor for an enemy. Verses 25 and 26, there would be casualties on the battlefield and casualties at home. And it's all the result of rejecting the rock. And in his provocation, God will act. And so we have the greatness of God. Remember his goodness and remember his provocation. 
The next stanza takes us back to that other category, the crookedness of people, where we are to recognize the, the fickleness of people, of our ways, but we're, uh, the fickleness of our devotion. Um, Benjamin, let's go to the next slide. <clears throat> we, uh, the fickleness of our devotion to God, but here we also must recognize the foolishness of our ways. Look at verse 28. Verse 28. <clears throat> They are a nation without sense, the Lord says. There is no discernment in them. If only they would be wise and would understand this and discern what their end will be. How could one man chase a thousand or two put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold them? Unless the Lord had given them up. Now listen to verse 31. For their rock is not like our rock as even as our enemies concede or judge, notice the stock that their rock comes from. Their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are filled with poison and their clusters with bitterness. Their vine, their, their wine rather, is the venom of serpents and, deadly poison, and the deadly poison of cobras. Help me not to forget verse 33, okay? Verse 28, God says, oh, if my people were only wise, if they only had some sense. Sounds like a parent, doesn't it? If only my kids were wise, if my kids were senseless. And crookedness always leads us to foolishness. And God says that they were oblivious to reality. They couldn't even discern what was going on. They weren't able to connect the dots between what was happening in their physical life as a result of really, was the result of really what was happening in their spiritual lives because they had rejected the rock. They were experiencing all of this in their physical life. And they couldn't, they couldn't bring the two together. Crookedness always leads to foolishness. Psalm chapter 14, verse 1, the psalmist writes, it says, the fool said in his heart that there is no God. Their deeds... Or they are corrupt, their deeds are vile, there is no one who does good. Foolishness, saying and living like there is no God, always results in corruption. Verse 30, how could one man chase a thousand, two put ten thousand to flight? This wasn't Israel, like how could Israel... Chase, one person chase a thousand and two chase ten thousand. He's not saying that. Israel, how, you, do you recognize what is going here? One person will chase a thousand of you. Two will put ten thousand of you running. This wasn't a song about Israel's strength. This was a song, this was a verse about Israel's weakness because they had rejected the rock. Verse 30 gives us the reason, unless the rock had sold them, unless the Lord had given them up. Again, Romans chapter 1. When we reject the living God, God gives people who rejected him over to a depraved mind so they begin to do the despicable things. Verse 31, their rock 
is not as our rock, even as our enemies concede or judge. Let me start moving towards the application. As I was just working through this song a couple weeks ago, and, and just this verse just struck me here. And this is the thought that every one of us has a rock. Everyone has a foundation upon which we're trying to build our lives on. Every one of us has someone or something that we turn to in times of calamity. Their rock is not as our rock. And the question I want you to think about this morning as we begin to think about as we come to the end of this song is who or what is your rock? Who or what is your rock? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 that if you're building your life on anything other than he and his word, you're building on sand. I think of the dunes out in Alamogordo that Vicky and I were at a couple weeks ago. Those, that white sands. Those sand dunes, I mean, it looks like snow. 275 square miles of snow sand and those dunes they move I think they said 32 feet a year in the wind and God says if you're building your life on anything but me and my word you're trying to build a house on the sand dunes of the Alamogordo area it's not going to stand and so let me hurry we got recognize the fickleness of your devotion that we've rejected God and because we rejected God we've become foolish in all of our ways. Let's come back to the last stanza, that last category, the greatness of God. And here we're called to remember. Remember the vengeance and the vindication of God. And let me finish the song out, verse 34 down to verse 34, uh, 43. Have I not kept this in reserve and sealed it in my vaults, the Lord says? It is mine to avenge. I will repay. In due time their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near. And their doom rushes upon them. The Lord will vindicate his people. Relent concerning his servants. And when he sees their strength is gone. And no one is left. And no one is left. Slave or free. He will say. Now where are their gods? The rocks they took. the, The rock they took refuge in. The gods who ate the fat of their sacrifices. And drank the wine of their drink offerings. Let them rise up to help you. Let them give you shelter. See now that I myself am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death, I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal. No one can deliver out of my hand. I lift my head, hand to heaven and solemnly swear, as surely as I live forever, when I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand grasps it in my judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood while my sword devours flesh. The blood of the slain and the captives, that the heads of the enemy leaders. Rejoice, you nations, with his people. For he will avenge the blood of his servants. And he will take vengeance on his enemies and make atonement for his land, for the land of his people. So much we can say. I'm just, I'm out of time. Uh, Let me just end here with verse 43. God will take vengeance on his enemies. He will avenge. He will vindicate his servants. 
Those who reject God as the living rock will not escape the judgment of God. His vengeance is certain and sure. Verse 40, when God raises his hand in an oath and he flashes his gleaming sword, no one can escape his judgment, right? Don't think you will. Don't think you're the exception. And I say that to myself. Those, however, who trust in God as the living rock will be vindicated by him regardless of what happens to them here on this earth. And we need to take this to heart. So, we need to ask the question, so what? Okay, great song. Moses, don't understand all of it. There's so much more that I could read and think about here. What am I supposed to do with this song? <clears throat> In my, my opinion, I think verse 31, verse 39 are, are two verses that this song hinges on. Verse 31, for their rock is not like our rock, even as our enemies to concede. Verse 39, see now that I myself am he, there is no God beside me. That verse 39, verse 43, verse 46 give to us three final commands, I think, that become the action words for us to take from this song. Verse 39 says, see. Stop and consider this. Know this. Be certain about this. That I am God, there is no other. The Lord is the rock. There is no other rock. See this. Be convinced of this. In, in this world that is always looking for another rock, know this, that the Lord is the only rock. I, I asked you earlier in the message, what is the rock that you're building on and to which rock are you turning to in times of calamity? The second question or follow-up question is, what kind of rock do you have? The Lord says, I am God, there is no other have you turned to this rock? Have you surrendered your life to this rock? Have you repented of your sin and trusted it? this rock? He talks about in verse, uh, I think verse 8. No, verse 15. The, you rejected the rock of your salvation. Are you looking for anyone else to be your salvation? Not just your eternal salvation, but in your temporal life, are you turning to anyone other than the Lord? Who is your rock? What kind of rock do you have? The third question is, if the Lord is your rock, and I would imagine most of us here this morning would say, yeah, the Lord's my rock. How are you responding to him? See. I am the Lord. I am God. There is no other. Settle that issue today. Do not build your life on anything other than the Lord Jesus and his word. Verse 43, rejoice. Sing aloud, shout, verbalize your confidence and your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ as your rock. His, his vengeance is sure. The, the enemies of God will be judged, but the servants of God will be vindicated. Now listen, in this life, 
You're going to be, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you will be maligned in this life. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you'll be persecuted. Jesus said, you're going to have trouble in this world. Take, know this, rejoice. There's a time coming when all the wrongs will be made right. All the ridicule that you've endured for your commitment and you're following the Lord Jesus Christ, all of that will be made right. Rejoice. When the Lord is your rock, you, you go through life, not with your head down, but with your head high. Verse 46, take to heart. Moses concludes this song with a final instruction. We, we have the narrator's voice here in verse 44. Moses came with Joshua, son of Nun, and spoke all these words of this song in the hearing of the people. And when Moses finished reciting all these words to all Israel, he said to them, take to heart. Third command. See, rejoice, take to heart. All the words I solemnly declare to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law, they are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them you will live long in the land you are crossing, the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Take to heart. That idea of take to heart is fix these words exclusively in your heart. Settle them today. Let these words become the foundation words for your life. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, people. Where you turn. Oh, be careful, little people, where you turn. For the rock up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little people, where you turn.